A successful retirement plan begins with assembling the right set of tools. Finding the proper ones for the job will allow you to drill down on your goals and nail down your future. Scott Searles, certified wealth strategist and owner of Skybox Financial Group, constructs retirement plans for clients every day and will share that knowledge and insight with you. It's time to open the retirement toolbox and get to work. Glad you're with us for another edition of the Retirement Toolbox. Walter Storholt here alongside Scott Searles, financial advisor and president of Skybox Financial Group. You can find us online by going to skyboxfinancialgroup.com. Scott brings more than 20 years of financial planning experience to the table each episode. And Scott, great to be with you once again. How are you? I am doing absolutely wonderful, Walter. How about yourself? Doing well. Is uh, lacrosse kicking up uh, right about now for you? Or what's... uh, What's oh, yeah, the lacrosse no. scene look like right now? We are knee-deep in lacrosse okay. right now. My three daughters are playing in college, and then I'm, I'm coaching my younger daughter's team. And uh, it was funny. It was the, just just absolutely last night. I am uh, in – I know you're a North Carolina guy, right? You know, so, yep. you know, the, the Tar Heels, the number one ranked women's collegiate lacrosse team in the country, and uh, they're fantastic. So last night I am watching – Syracuse game and Syracuse has has got a great defense and my wife gets she was out of the room doing something and I don't know she was in the office or something so I put this lacrosse game on I'm watching she walks out she goes don't you get enough lacrosse and I'm like (laughs) I'm like but honey Syracuse's defense is awesome I think they're running like a zone backer defense here I want to try use this she goes you coach a fifth sixth grade team I said yeah I think I could get them to do it <laughs> I'm kind of pathetic <laughs> you have to fil- filter these advanced schemes down just a little yeah. just a little bit but. I think I can run that zone backer defense <laughs> look at they can't score at all on these guys that's pretty good. That's pretty good. You got to just say next time, well, would you rather me be absorbed into this or I could put on the business news because that's my other passion, obviously. So yes, take, that's take right. your choice, lacrosse well, and that, business. That, that's usually why I'm re- reading The Economist magazine in bed. There you and, go. Uh, there you go. You know. That's why she's then like, all right, put on the true crime. We got to balance, <laughs> balance you out a little bit. <laughs> that's right. That's where that comes from now. That makes it, it all makes more sense now. You got yeah, to yeah. Push you out of those two zones of lacrosse and finances. Inside the complicated brain of Scott Searles. <laughs> I love it. Fantastic. Well, glad that you are uh, knee deep in uh, all of those extracurricular activities. And uh, I know that that brings you a lot of joy and uh, a lot of fun to uh, be so involved in all those different moving parts. So that is really cool. Uh, we've got a great show on the way today. A couple of things that we're going to be talking about, including a question from Mary who's wondering about health savings accounts, HSAs, and maxing out contributions to those, and then what to do with maybe all of that money that you've poured into an HSA over time. So we got a good question from Mary on that subject. Uh, We're also going to have a getting-to-know-you question for Scott about being better than 90% of the people in the world. Oh, wait, hold on. Like, period? Or uh, we'll have to look at the phrasing of that question. Not get Scott in trouble here. Uh, plus, we'll have some good movies and TV shows to recommend to you at the end of the program, hopefully. And then uh, to start off our main conversation of the day, we're talking particularly to business owners on the program today. Small business owner, yep. or I guess it doesn't really matter the size of the business. Medium business owner would be fine as well. But we have found over the years, Scott, that they are particularly vulnerable 
to some misconceptions and false assumptions about their retirements. And so we want to address some of those issues on the show. But before we get into the particular mm-hmm. issues, is that an accurate assessment? Do you find business owners a little bit more susceptible to, I don't know, bad financial or retirement planning decisions? Oh, yeah. You know what? Absolutely, Walter, because you know they're they're involved in their business. That is what they know. That's what they do for 20 hours a day. And uh, it seems the financial planning aspect always falls to the side because they're trying to grow their business. And, you know, I tell people, what, you know, when I meet them that are small business owners, I, I said, you know what, you're in the right place because I'm a small business owner too. And, you know, I, I get where you're coming from. I, I know your concerns and, and you know, I also know what we need to do to get you prepared because there's a lot of misconceptions with business owners and they, and they you know, they, they assume different things that don't always necessarily come true. Mm, that's a great point. And so that's going to be a little bit of the uh, main crux of our conversation today. One of those things that gets assumed that doesn't always work out very well is the belief of business owners to say, you know what, if I execute my business plan, my retirement plan will just take care of itself as well. This is a little bit of that, like putting your head in the sand sort of feeling. It's just it's just going to take care of its, itself. It always works out. Yeah. Well, and, you know, that that's the business owner mentality, right? You know, you uh, you have your business plan, you, you know how, what you want to accomplish, you put a plan in place, and, and, and then you most importantly implement that plan. And, you know, but business owners by just their mental thinking, you know, they prioritize things. And, and a lot of times they're thinking, you know what, I'm going to just grow the business and later on down the road, I'm going to put cash away for retirement. You know, first I got to get it to this point. First I need to do this. First I need to do that. And, you know, they they pretty much get to that point where they're almost ready to retire and they haven't really put away much. Granted, the business may grow and it could be providing good cash flow for them. But, you know, it's a very common thing I see that you know, in general, business owners are underfunded for their retirement. And along those same lines, again, misconceptions and uh, maybe false assumptions. Another one is business owners might say, you know what, I, I don't necessarily have a lot of money in the bank, but I have a high net worth when you factor in the value of the business. And that's true. And, and you know, that's also another natural tendency for people. You know, I'm building my value and my net worth through my business. And, and that is true. But at the same time, you know, that business value could drop. You could lose a product line. You could have, you know, a lawsuit or all hundreds of different things that could happen that could put that value of that business in jeopardy. And then you got to realize, well, you know, I have to be able to sell the business, number one. And, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into actually what the value of that business is. And most business owners always overestimate the value of their business. And, you know, but when someone else is coming in to buy your business, what their objective is to get the lowest price they can, right? Because they're buying a business. Just like when you go and buy a car, you try to negotiate and get the lowest price you can for your car. So you know, they may not get necessarily what they think that they're going to be able to get out of it. And the net worth and value of that business may not necessarily be you know, what, what they think it is. That's a great point. And I guess that dovetails nicely into another misconception. 
if the business has the high net worth, even if that is true, we run into an additional problem. There's an assumption of, okay, so then I go to sell the business. Well, I'm going to make more than enough to support myself in retirement. But just because the business has a high net worth doesn't necessarily mean that that sale is going to happen the way you think it will. Yeah. And, you know, I would tell you 90% of business owners kind of think the same way with this. And, uh, you know, I'm going to spend, you know, 20, 30 years building up this business. It's going to be worth X amount of dollars. I'm going to sell it. Then I'm going to use that money to fund my retirement. And there's, you know, I certainly hope that works for you. As, as a business owner, I want that to happen for all small businesses out there. But there, you know, there's a lot of things to consider. Is the person that's going to buy your business, are they going to have cash up front? Are they going to the bank and getting a loan for the full value of the business? Or are they going to give you a down payment? And then are they going to start to pay you over time? Well, if that's the case, where that's actually where how most businesses are sold, if that's the case, though, then you are relying on that business owner to continue to, the new owner to run it just as good as you did and continue to have the cash flow to make those payments to you, you know, over the several year time period or however you structure that. So that's something you need to consider. Or, or maybe that business owner, he's not going to run it himself. He's going to hire somebody, you know, so. You know that could could have an impact on the value of the business when you go and sell it. There's a there, there's a lot of pitfalls and things that could go wrong with that, as well as you know what happens if you get just a few years out from retirement and something happens with the business. Like I said, you lose one of your main products, or and, and your revenue drops in half. Well, now your you know value dropped in half or, or whatever. And now you can't sell it for what you thought you're going to. So, you know, there's a lot of things you need to really think through when you when you, you think about the value of the business. All right. Uh, shifting gears just slightly, Scott. There are There's one type of small business, the normal one, and then there's the family business, uh, the family mm-hmm. small business. And that kind of comes with a whole different mentality and way of doing things. And often there's this assumption that, you know what, well, my family is going to take over the business. You know, sons and daughters will just take over. And I know that they'll run it well, and they'll just continue to take care of me. Well, and again, I hope that plan works out for you. But you also have to protect yourself. Even though they're family, there's a lot of different, you know, ways you can structure and and do that business. And, you know, just because you know, your, your son or daughters or, or, you know, however many of them come in to run that business, like you said, you know, you don't know if they're necessarily going to do a good job. And, you know, there's different things you could do to protect yourself. You can, you know, break the company out into shares and issue them a certain amount of shares and you continue to kind of have your foot in the door and continue to own the majority of the business and have them earn it out over time while you continue to make the revenue. Um, you know, if, if you, you can always have a life insurance on your life that, you know, while you're still living before you sell that business, if, if you pass away, then that money goes to take care of maybe your wife and then those kids can run the business. There's a lot of different planning things you can do to make sure you protect yourself, but simply you got to make sure all the legal stuff is all, is all written up to, because even though it's family, you know, family get crazy when there's money involved. You see that all the time with, 
you know, mom and dad passing away and the kids fighting. Well, you can imagine them trying to run a business and fighting all the time. It's just going to go down the, the hole. Yeah, you can just see how that can go wrong in so many different ways, even if everybody goes into it with the best of intentions. There's just lots of different wrong turns that can be taken there. So given all of these misconceptions and false assumptions, uh, how does your process change, if at all, when you have somebody who is a small business owner and they come in to do some financial or retirement planning or have these kinds of financial questions, Scott, do you adjust your process given the fact that there's this business element involved? And and what does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So we do, you know, not only do we do the personal financial plan, but then we do a business plan. And I don't mean like a business execution plan, but a business financial plan. Because as a business owner, you have a lot more opportunities to actually save more money. Utilizing corporate retirement plans, have the company put money away for you and get a tax deduction from the business side. You know, simple IRAs, SEP IRAs, you know, 401k plans. There's a lot of different things you can establish under the business that can help you save for retirement. And then I think it's just that discipline while you're working. If you're paying yourself a paycheck, start putting money in the retirement account and start accumulating early and, and have that you know, mentality that you need to pay yourself first. And if you pay yourself first, you know, and then you operate the business on the cash that's kind of left over, you know, you're going to make that business work and it'll be just fine. But too many business owners go the other direction, have use, you know, needless spending in their business and not taking enough home for themselves. So I try to get people to think the opposite way. Start saving and accumulating and paying yourself first. And then because the reason you own a business to start with is that business is there to do what? Well, make you money. I mean, you're doing it to, to, to grow a business that will take care of you and your family. So you, you want to make sure it does that. So you absolutely need to, to save and start accumulating first and take advantage of some of the, the plans that are in place. And then, you know, when you take a look at the business succession planning, that's something else you need to have in place far in advance to your retirement. Like I said, taking a look at, at, you know, life insurance to buy the business if something were to happen, getting a successor in place early. Maybe that is a family member. Maybe it's not. Dividing the company up in shares, maybe giving them part of the shares of the company if you have an LLC. So there's a lot of different things that you do, but you need to start early and plan and not say, hey, I'm just going to grow this business and sell it one day and that's my retirement. It may work, but chances are it's not going to work out the way you planned. That's a great point, Scott. And so if you are a business owner and want to talk out a little bit more in detail your retirement plan and uh, how it's all going to work with also still running and uh, maintaining your business and whatever those transition points end up then looking like for you, Scott can help make sure that you're not neglecting your future while you're doing such a good job taking care of your present in the business, be able to keep kind of both eyes on the ball, if you will. The number to call if you want to have a conversation with Scott about these things is 888-742-0111. Or if you know of a business owner who would benefit from hearing some of this information, please share this podcast with them so they can you know, be made aware of some of these issues that business owners often fall into. We don't want that to be the case. All that hard work that you put into your business for all those years, make sure that it still builds that future for you properly that you hoped it would when you probably began it. 888-742-0111. Again, the number to call. 
or go to talktoscott.com, and you can schedule a time to meet with Scott there as well. And we'll put contact info in the description of today's show. It's getting to know you time. Well, it's time to get to know Scott a little bit better on today's show. My question for you this episode, Scott, what are you better at than 90% of people? That's certainly different than the question that you said at the very beginning of the show. <laughs> because you said that, I'm trying to think. Why are you think, better well, than 90% of people? Why am I better you know, than 90% of people? I mean, I... It, and it depends. If yes, if you ask my wife, I'm I'm better than like five percent of people. So, uh, I, I you as long know, as you're not in the bottom five, you're in good shape. So, what are you better at than ninety percent of people? Whether well, yeah. that's you know, I don't want to be boastful. I, I'm a little embarrassed here, Walter. But I I would say I I'm really good at math. But I would I would say the you know, fixing stuff, handyman stuff. I can, I think I can pretty much fix anything. I mean, I've re, I've redone my whole basement and I've, I've, you know, built the walls, the drywall, ran the electrical, did the plumbing. I think I can pretty much fix and do anything when it comes to like home improvement and handyman stuff. Nice. 90% may be high, but I think definitely the majority of people I am, I'm, better at doing those things. I just have that mind for it, that logical mind. I think through the process and analyze stuff. And maybe it's from doing what I do for a living, but I just, you know, and then with YouTube, I mean, if you don't know how to fix something, there's a hundred other people that already did it online. So Right. Willing to show you at least how they accomplished the, the mission. Right. And then you kind of modify what they did. Yeah, I think that, I mean, it's a great skill, obviously, to be able to do stuff, especially to that level that you've done. I mean, it's one thing to, you know, there's there's handiness, you know, fix a toilet, you know, do this, you know, able to mm-hmm. take care of the little stuff around the house. Then there's that next level, like once you start like hanging drywall and figuring out more advanced plumbing and that kind of stuff, it really unlocks a whole new world. And that's where probably you're right. I don't think, you know, you probably are better than 90 percent of the people once you get to that level out there. Well, Walter, at least I like to think so. Yeah, yeah. I, you're, you're a hero in your own mind, that's for sure. That's right. I think that's fantastic. Do you think that you have saved money over the years by being your own handyman, or has having all of that ability actually made you just take on way more projects and spend way more money on things because you had the ability to do so? Otherwise, you may not have you know, done some of those upgrades and changes. No, I, I do definitely know I've saved money. Okay. I mean, you just look at the at the finishing my own basement down there. The only thing I brought somebody in to do was to do the drywall mudding, because that that's like an art form. That you it have is. to be an it artist. Is an, it is an art. That. It's not even really a handyman skill. It's an art. Mm, yeah, it is. It's it's like painting. I mean, especially so ceiling I, is tough because uh, here it's I don't even like painting yeah. ceilings, let alone mudding a ceiling is just a nightmare. Uh, Oh yeah, no. I it just and the amount of sand and dust I would have created would mm-hmm. have been insane. So, yeah. So I did everything, and the only other thing I did have somebody do was uh, my wife's cousin came in. He's a certified electrician, and he, I ran all the wires and I ran them all to the box. But he put a couple extra circuits in the box for me and hooked my my circuits in just because I get a little freaked out about being, you know two inches away from the big, huge main power line coming mm. into the house. It yeah. just freaks me out a little bit. Minor, minor electrical, fine, but being close to the, the, the central hub of it all, best yeah. to 
have that yeah. done properly, I would imagine. Yeah. Exactly. But there's no doubt I save money. And then what I do, I have this theory that when I do stuff myself, I get to buy the tools and have the tools forever. Yeah. So like when I did the basement, I bought an air compressor and a nail gun. And granted, it's not something I use every day. But, uh, you know, I have the air compressor and the nail gun now. And if I would have hired somebody, I wouldn't have had those tools. So. Right. Next time around, you'll be able to use those. And you'll be like, man, I'm so glad I bought those all those years ago. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've you know, shot it around in the backyard messing around. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, I've, felt, I've fired a few warning shots to the annoying neighbors around me. Yeah, I felt I needed to use it a little bit. Did Tried some target some, practice on the uh, some trees in the backyard. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Oh, that's uh, that is too funny. Well, very cool. Uh, that's great. Better than ninety uh, percent of the people at uh, at home improvement stuff. Fantastic. I would say I'm probably better than ninety percent of people at eating Oreos. How's that compared to your to your skill and ability? Wow. No that that is that is a unique skill. <laughs> like so. So are we like like a squirrel where we shove like 20 in our mouth kind of thing? What are well, we talking about? Here? I, when I was younger, I was the Oreo stacking champion at the local Winn-Dixie. And I actually stacked more Oreos in 30 seconds than the national champion ended up doing in 60 seconds. I don't know why I wasn't invited to the national championships given my performance at the Winn-Dixie. Wow. But I did get a T-shirt that says Oreo Stacking Champion on it that I still have to this day. No longer oh. does it fit because I've had too many Oreos, but which they should have taken that into account when they gave me the shirt and probably yes. sized yeah. me up a few times. But Short-sighted on their Short-sighted part. on their part. But in any event, uh, yes, I was very good at stacking Oreos. When I was younger, I had a very particular routine for eating Oreos. Yeah. So you dip, you dip three in the milk and let them sink to the bottom. Then you eat one and drink a little bit of the milk just because you can't wait till you know you get to the the fifth and sixth ones. And then mm-hmm. five, you you twist and split and you eat the icing off of it. But then you put the two just chocolate pieces with no with none of the icing or anything, none of the cream into the milk. And the last one, you split that one as well, but you let that one dunk into the milk with the cream on it. But you let the halves float while the full ones you make sure drop to the bottom before you eat. And then that was my method for how I'd eat Oreos as a kid. So how do you get the ones that sunk to the bottom out? Do you drink the milk? Yeah, you drink the milk, and then you have this big, soggy, bunch of cookie goodness at the bottom that you then have to bottoms up, and it all falls into your mouth. It's really tasty. I know what I'm doing when I go home. I'm going to try that. Oh, man. I My had daughter. To, I had to give up Oreos after a while, as you can imagine why. <laughs> well, my daughter has a Oreo dunking cup with like a little, they're not pliers, but those t- uh, tweezer kind of things. Uh, tweezers? Uh, to dunk Tongs. Tong- it comes tongs. with tongs. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Tongs built into like the handle of really? the Oreo cup. And she puts it up with milk, and then she dips her Oreos in there. I'm going to tell her she has to let a few sink to the bottom and then, you know, stand on one one foot and twist your Oreo or all that stuff you just went through. She she would certainly get a kick out of that. Huh. Well, that is pretty cool. Uh, My wife actually just recently started doing cereal in in a cup. For her breakfasts on the way, she really likes cereal, but it's hard when she's rushing out the door in the morning to go to the hospital to obviously eat cereal beforehand, just doesn't have enough time, and then obviously can't eat cereal really in a bowl in a car as you're driving to work. So they make apparently this cereal bowl 
or cup where the cereal is all on the outside and then the milk is in like an inner tube in the cup. And then when you when you go back to drink it like a drink, it mixes the milk and the cereal for you as it pours into your mouth. So you get to drink it like you would a normal drink, but it's pouring cereal and cere- and milk at the same time. I was wow. like, there's no way that that works. And so then I, and I tried it. And I was like, wow, this is actually amazing. Where's the spin all my life? <laughs> wow, wow. So, that is neat. Yeah. If you, I don't know, kind of a cool invention like the Oreo tweezers, it sounds like. Yes. Or Oreo tongs. Very good. Uh, wow, I don't know how we went from construction ability to uh, eating Oreos, but we did. What a what a transition. And, uh, and you know, do you like golden Oreos or you just like the old school? Um, the only Oreos I can say I like are the, you know, the originals. Double stuff mm-hmm. is fine because it's basically just double the original. And uh, the mint Oreos are highly addicting as well. Really? I yeah. haven't had those. Oh, the mint Oreos are really something. Very My- addicting. Be careful. Be careful with them. My daughter sent me on a mission at the grocery store just probably a month ago to find the Lady Gaga Oreos. What? Never yes, heard of such Lady, thing. Lady Gaga has got her own Oreos. They're pink on the outside and green in the middle, <laughs> and they and they kind of almost taste like kind of like the birthday cake Oreos. They're, okay. They're, they're, there's a different taste to them. I don't know if I could put my mm. finger on it. I guess if I read the package, I may say. But, yeah, they were pink with green Lady Gaga Oreos. Pick those up at your local grocery store. That sounds nasty. <laughs> that just sounds gross. It's not chocolate. I'm really not interested. Someone said that the uh, – I think they, they were they, – there's apparently a coffee Oreo out there. I've never seen it, but someone said that it mm. exists and that it's really good. I need to go try and find – the coffee Oreo because I do like it's, things that are chocolate or coffee flavored. It's like those M and M's. They've got like seven thousand flavors of M and M's now. It's hard hard to keep up with them all. And then some are special yeah. edition, and they only last a little while, and then they disappear. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's amazing. We could do a whole show about Oreos. That'd be that'd be fun. We'll put that on. We're the gonna agenda. change this into like a food podcast. Well, we have a movie TV review segment. Maybe we should do a, a, a food segment at some point. Yes, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll throw it to the producers and see what they think. I do eat a lot. So. <laughs> something we we probably both do that better than ninety percent of people, right? That's probably true. All right, that's getting to know Scott a little bit better. Now, time to answer one of your questions. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. Okay, so here's a question from Mary. If you want to submit a question, by the way, go to skyboxfinancialgroup.com. Mary says, I've been maxing out contributions toward an HSA for the past few years and feel ready to invest these funds. Since I am still over 20 years from retirement age, should I use the auto investment advisor tool to get my HSA funds in the market, or should I reach out to a financial advisor to help me decide? Well, Mary, that, that that's a very good question. And for everybody out there that doesn't know what an HSA is, it's a health savings account. So you can, you know, offered by your employer, most likely, you can, you know, take money out of your paycheck and put it in this health savings account, which then allows you to use those funds tax-free for medical expenses later on down the road. And when you're retired, you can use that to pay for your deductibles and all sorts of stuff. So HSAs are great tools to have, and they do allow you to 
you know, invest that money uh, in, in, you know, different platforms, maybe mutual funds, some are even brokerage accounts. I would tell you, though, Mary, you know, if more than likely just using the auto investor tool might just be good enough for the HSA, depending on how much you have in there. If you're already working with a financial advisor, I would certainly bring it up to them and say, hey, you know, I got this HSA, you know, how should I invest this? And they should be able to give you some good recommendations that fit your goals and needs. But with that said, I mean, if you don't have a financial plan, you should definitely go get a financial plan, a retirement plan with somebody that's a fiduciary, and they're going to recommend how you invest that HSA. But in the meantime, if you just use that auto investment advisor tool, it's at least going to get you going a little bit. And then once you do meet with somebody, if you don't have somebody, then they can recommend you, you know, further. That's a great point. And a really good question, Mary. Get, get these kinds of questions certainly from time to time. Various investments. Hey, what do I do with this? Or maybe something in your life changes or job change. Those kinds of things can always spark a little bit of a repurposing of funds. And sounds like you're maybe having one of those moments in regards to your HSA here. So very good question. And if you ever have a similar question to Mary, you want to ask that to Scott, you can talk in more detail about your specific situation as well by going to talktoscott.com and setting up time for a one-on-one visit. That's talktoscott.com or by calling 888-742-0111. That's 888-742-0111. Just sitting at home with nothing to do. It's time for the shelter-in-place movie TV review. All right, time to find out what's been on the movie and TV screen for Scott and I and see if we recommend those things to you. Scott, what's been on your screen? Are we continuing the true crime uh, streak here? No, this is something that I've watched by myself. Okay. And, you know, it, it's kind of kind of the weird genre I kind of like sometimes when I, you know, whether my wife's not home and I'm watching TV or she goes to bed early and I watch a little bit of TV and it's a show called Warrior on HBO. Okay. So it's about this. It takes place back in, boy, I don't know the years. But, you know, let's, it's kind of when, when a lot of the Chinese immigrants were coming over to San Francisco, you know, to be cheap labor at the time, right? So that would have been, I don't know, early 1900s. Okay. Somewhere right along there. But anyway... The whole preface behind the story is this guy, he joins like this uh, kind of Chinese mafia, and uh, it's a karate thing, so he goes around doing all his karate stuff, and if you're into that, I, I love this show called Peaky Blinders, which, you know, kind of, you know, this is the Irish mafia back in the late late 19th century and early 20th century. And this is kind of in that same time era, so I like that part of it. And then I kind of like the, you know, karate martial art kind of stuff. So these kind of married those two together. It's probably not going to be for 90% of our audience, but, you know, it's a review. And I'm telling you, it's good if you like that kind of stuff. So Yeah, not all of them have to be uh, widely applicable to everybody. It's just a, it's just a peek inside of our viewing world and what may be interesting to other people or may not be. That one does sound uh, intriguing, though. An interesting time period piece, right? 
I, and I, that's what I like. That's what I like about it. It's kind of, yeah. you know, it takes place in that era, and uh, you know, there's a lot of drama. It's definitely not a kid-friendly show. You know, there was a lot of brothels around at that point in time, if it gives you any idea <laughs> on what you can expect from the show. And the, but, the usual uh, HBO Showtime disclaimers. that Yes, that. yes. We don't limit our language or our nudity in any you, way. You know what you're anything. getting into with those those types of produced shows. Correct. I don't have a, a great one this time around to uh, to talk about. It, at least it's like it's like an older an older movie that just happened to be on TV that we watched. Actually, I'll throw out two two older movies that I, that we recently watched in between shows. We just started a new series, but we technically haven't even finished the first episode, so I'm not going to bring that one up yet until I have a little bit better read on it. But I, I watched Deepwater Horizon for the first time. Uh, okay, movie that's the uh, oil. BP oil spill, the story of how yes. the oil rig exploded and that kind of thing. It's been out for a long time. I just hadn't ever seen it, and so I watched that for the first time. And if you like action and things like that, it was a great story. And, you know, I mean, not a great story, like a good news story, but just it was well told. I, although it was very dark, and I realized they're on an oil rig in the middle of the ocean at night, so mm-hmm. don't expect it to be that bright. But I don't know. It just felt like so many parts of the movie were just darkness with yelling, and it just... It was too dark. <laughs> like I, I actually wanted to be less realistic so I can actually just kind of see what's happening and going on and right, understand right. a little bit more. So I don't know. It, it was a good movie, just a little too dark at times. There was too much emphasis on, oh, it's really dark and they can't see what's happening. So I just felt kind of like a little lost in some of the action because of that. And then the other one, we watched October Sky. Do you ever remember watching that one back in the day? Does uh, that have... Uh What's the Scientology? Uh, the Tom Cruise on it? Uh, no, no. Uh, you're thinking of Vanilla Sky. Oh, yeah. Different, different sky. <laughs> now, this is about uh, Homer Hickam, uh, West Virginia coal mining town, and mm-hmm. you know, kind of the, the kind of situation nobody ever makes it out of this town. Everyone becomes a coal miner, and it's during the, the space race. Russia just put, or the Soviets just put Sputnik up into orbit. Mm-hmm. And so this high school kid, who's not the smartest of the bunch, but he gets really interested into rockets. And so he and his buddies start building rockets. And it just follows their journey of the pull from his family and the community to pull him into the coal mining world and his dreams to go beyond the coal mining world. And so he gets into, you know, exploring how to use these rockets and, you know, the, the, the many, many, many failures that he goes through trying to figure out how to build these things and make them successful. And then eventually he wants to enter into a science fair. He might be able to get a scholarship out of it. And, you know, so it's just all about that that journey um, hmm. and that, that competing battle of, hey, you're meant to be a coal miner. Get down in the coal mine, start making money versus hey, I, w- I have this dream that I want to go pursue. And it's based on a true story, and Homer Hickam ends up, um, I, won't, I won't say what ends up happening to him, but like it tells you what ends up happening to him as a, as a real guy. And um, it's a great movie. I think it came out like 99 maybe, late 90s or early 2000s. And I remember watching it as a kid, but then I rewatched it, and it was my wife's first time seeing it a couple of weeks ago. And it was great uh, on another watch through. So, What's the name of it again? October Sky. October Sky. I had Vanilla Sky stuck in my mind. That's all I could think of. That's funny. Uh, and Scott, I think you've, you're YouTube TV, right? Yeah. I think October, and that's so that's where we watched it. It's been on recently, so you can probably find it on YouTube TV's DVR for free okay. and probably okay. probably watch it that way. Really good show. Just easy to watch, easy to consume, fun. It's uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is the main the main character. Okay. 
Yeah. So, and uh, it's well done. I think you'll like it. I recommend it to anybody if you've never seen it. So, and it's a good family movie as well. Uh, anybody, anybody in the family can enjoy that one too. We all need some good family movies. We've got, we got to balance out our our our, <laughs> our little our bit brothel more rougher, shows. rougher around the edges brothel cursing shows. <laughs> got to get it get it back in the family direction occasionally. Well, there you have it. A couple of items for you to check out on TV before our next episode. We'll have more recommendations next time around. Scott, thanks for all the help for uh, helping out business owners on today's show and all the other insights, and we'll look forward to talking to you next time. Absolutely. I always enjoy it, Walter. All right. It's always a good time. Absolutely. That's Scott Searles. I'm Walter Storholt. We'll talk to you next time right back here on the Retirement Toolbox. Go try. Investment advisory services provided by Skybox Asset Management, LLC.